welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch rushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Who is Sawyer Gibson Long? Let's find out. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Monday, September 18th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, Shohei Otani has been shut down for the rest of the season. We've got some final waiver wire moves, starter sit decisions, and much more. You know the deal. Please help us out by liking this video and subscribing on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. And you know, as I continue to mention, we're going to have off-season content. So if you want to hang out and continue to hear about baseball and fantasy baseball, what's happening in the playoffs and the offseason. We're still going to be here doing shows, I think, twice per week once we get to the offseason. So don't go anywhere. Stick around and hang out with the guys. Uh, Scott, how was the weekend? I know you were out at Marlins Park on Saturday. I was out at Marlins Park on Saturday. Took the family, the rare Saturday afternoon game, and it just so happened the Braves were in town, so that worked out nicely. Yeah, they, they lost. I mean, anybody who's, who's – Marlins had a huge weekend. They swept the Braves. Jazz Chisholm home, uh, hit a grand slam, actually, in back-to-back games. So move over. Royce Lewis, there's a new grand slam king in town. I believe I saw he, on Saturday specifically, Jazz Chisholm became the first player ever to hit a grand slam and steal three bases in a game. So it was, I know it was an 18-point game in standard CBS scoring. So uh, – Big game for him, big weekend for the Marlins. Uh, it's always fun to see. I mean, I don't like it so much at my own team's expense, but it's it's always fun to see that, you know, borderline playoff team just seem to find another gear as they push for a playoff spot. Like, it, it's, it seems like it shouldn't happen as often as it does because I feel like baseball is one of those is, – is, an oddity among sports where the harder you try, the worse you do, you know, because it just, you, you, you can't press with it. You kind of have to let it come to you. And, um, but it seems to be happening for the Marlins. They're very hot right now. And maybe, maybe it propels them into the playoffs. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, otherwise it was, it was loud there, man. That was the biggest crowd for a Marlins game I've been to, which I'm sure has, Something to do with them still being competitive in mid-September. And, uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. It was an interesting time. I think the boys had fun. They mostly were just concerned with what they were going to eat next, which <laughs> I remember. I remember that experience from their perspective. So I get it. But they, you know, they, they seem to, for the first time, take at least a mild interest in what was happening on the field. So that's good. Nice. Shout out to the Marlins, man, playing competitive games here in September. This National League wildcard race is awesome right now. I mean, I, maybe not if you're a fan of the team. It's kind of like hectic and I guess stressful at this time of year. But man, there's four teams within one game of each other in the standings that are all vying for three, no, two wildcard spots right now. So it's it's a close race, and then the Giants are two games behind them, too. So uh, between the D-backs, the Cubs, the Marlins, the Reds, the Giants, it's going to be a pretty crazy finish to the season here. Uh, I went to the Mets and Reds game on Friday. No Ellie De La Cruz in the lineup, Scott. <laughs> Just like I knew it was going to happen. It was They were going up against a lefty, David Peterson, so I was like, ah, whatever. Uh, still a fun game anyway. Shout out to everyone who's made it to... The, their fantasy baseball championship. Maybe you already won your fantasy baseball championship. Some people are already tweeting in. I see some comments on YouTube, people winning championships. So congratulations to you. Congratulations to you specifically, Scott. You took me down. You're in the championship in the podcast points league where you will be going up against Kyle B. And then you're also in the who's, championship. Whose team name is Church of Scott White, right? So you yeah. get... You get Scott White warring against his own church. That's right. And we'll see if the student has surpassed the master in the podcast league. And what were you about to say, Frank? And it's a clean sweep for Scotty. 
because you're in the For the People League finals as well, going up That's against right. Chris G. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if you can take yeah. them all down, man. That would be cool. I don't think it's been done in podcast league history before, winning both of them. The, the For the People League hasn't been around as long as the original recipe. Uh, it would suck to lose both of them. I hope that doesn't happen. I, I was, I, it did look like I was trending toward being in a third head-to-head points championship game. Uh, I entered the day down by like 20 points. I had five starters going to his one. I checked on it mid-game. One of my starters, Charlie Morton, had a bad start against those raging Marlins, but the other four, two of the starts were awesome. Two of them were pretty good, and then that bad start for Morton. I seemed to have a pretty comfortable lead. I was like, okay, this is in the bag. Out of nowhere, Gavin Stone gets a three-and-a-third inning save for the Marlins worth 22 points in this scoring format. Oof. I lose by two. Oh, I lose by two because the, the random Gavin Stone save. So... Uh, the podcast leagues are the only two head-to-head leagues that I am competing for the championship in. There are a couple roto leagues where I have a shot, but I'm not feeling great about my chances. I'm like second, third in them, and have kind of been stuck there for a long time. Um, so I'm really a, a lot's riding on the, the podcast championships. I, I need a good showing in those to feel good about my season overall. I did secure that third overall pick in the Scott White dynasty uh, first year player draft next year. The minor league draft is actually what we call it. So I will get one of those three prospects that we've been talking about for gosh, two weeks now, right? Mm -hmm. Me having to win that one. So that kind of feels like a championship in its own right, because obviously you just feel like you're a little more invested in those dynasty leagues. And so even though it wasn't a championship, getting one of those big prospects, I think, feels like a major victory. Nice, nice. Congrats to you. I'm going for the three-peat in Tout Wars, head-to-head points league there. So uh, going up rematch of last year, Greg Jewett, fantastic player. So we'll see if I can uh, bring it home. Let's. I'm, has anybody won three in a row in Tout Wars before? Like, you might. I don't know. I, I think it has been done before. But I would join like just a few people. Very rare company. Yeah, you do kind of play in the weird format. Uh, you, it's it's a head-to-head points format, and I think the winner gets to choose like what site version, what what yeah. what platforms version of head-to-head points they scoring they use, right? And so you keep winning, so you keep choosing CBS. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we'll see. We'll see if we can take it home. Let's get into the rest of this weekend's action. Oh my good goodness gracious! All right, Scott, mention the name up at the top. Who is Sawyer Gibson Long? Well, Sawyer Gibson Long is a pitcher for the Tigers who was called up recently. He made his second start, I believe it was, over the weekend. And it was really good at the Angels, minus Mike Trout, minus Shohei Otani. Angels are a really good uh, matchup right now. It needs to be pointed out. But nonetheless, Sawyer Gibson Long... Allowed just one run in five innings, two hits, struck out 11 in those five innings, had 23 swinging strikes on just 82 pitches, which is an incredible swinging strike rate. Uh, And uh, looked really good, obviously. He is, he's kind of difficult to size up. He wasn't a particularly highly rated prospect in the minors uh, as recently as the mid-season update for for Baseball America. They were projecting him to be a reliever long-term. He wasn't particularly high for the Tigers in MLB pipeline, but he did have interesting numbers in the minors. So 433 ERA, 113 whip in the minors. Okay, that's not so great, especially that ERA. 11.4K per nine and only 2.6 BB per nine. So he... Had a great strikeout-to-walk ratio. The ERA was high mainly because he gave up a ton of home runs, 1.8 home runs per nine. So just that alone kind of puts Sawyer Gibson long in sort of that Joe Ryan, Andrew Abbott category where he seems to have a lot of strikeout potential but also extremely vulnerable to home runs. And so it might be... 
you know, there might be some extreme, extreme highs and lows from this guy, obviously Saturday being an extreme high. Uh, he sort of like those two. He doesn't throw especially hard. I mean, that's, he, he's kind of between in between Joe Ryan and Andrew Abbott in terms of velocity, low nineties for the fastball. Uh, and it's, it's really the secondary stuff that sets Sawyer Gibson long apart. So of those 23 whiffs on Saturday, nine came on the slider, 10 came on the changeup. Both of those pitches he threw more than either version of the fastball. He has a two-seamer and a four-seamer. So he really leans on that secondary arsenal. And we've seen pitchers find success that way. So uh, I would I would be pretty excited about Sawyer Gibson Long at this point in a long-term keeper league. But I don't think, but I but I do think it's worth pointing out it's not that classic power pitcher profile even though he did get the strikeouts, he did get a ton of whiffs in this one, and maybe he can continue to do that. It's not, it, it's an unconventional profile. And, and so that makes it harder to predict how exactly things are going to proceed moving forward. As for the rest of this year, Sawyer Gibson Long's next start lines up for Oakland next week. Yep. So another very favorable matchup. And I, I think it's favorable to final week too. Do you have that one? Yeah, Kansas City. Kansas City. So two great matchups to close out the season. Neither of them is going to be a two-start week for Sawyer Gibson Long. But if you're in one of those deeper leagues, uh, like a 15-teamer, certainly uh, an AL only, I was throwing my remaining fab dollars at him in that one, then I think Sawyer Gibson Long is, is somebody you could really think about starting right away, much less picking up. Yeah, absolutely. Those secondaries, the slider and the changeup look great. Everything that you mentioned there, the matchups, uh, only 7% rostered for Sawyer, Sawyer Gibson Long and at the Oakland A's this upcoming week. So I do like that quite a bit if you do play in a deeper league. Let's just run through some of the other uh, waiver wire pitchers that stood out from this weekend. I don't know. Maybe Gibson Long is at the top of this list. Um, the first group includes Gavin Williams, who now has back-to-back quality starts. He was facing the Rangers this weekend. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts with 13 swinging strikes for him. Uh, his fastball velocity down 1.5 miles per hour, but his slider was up one mile per hour. So kind of interesting there for Gavin Williams. Uh, Jose Quintana, another day, another quality start up against the Reds. Six and two-thirds innings, two runs allowed, two strikeouts. Uh, Ranger Suarez, back-to-back quality starts for him. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts at the Cardinals. And uh, Bailey Ober, successful return to the Twins rotation. He was at the White Sox. Five innings, two runs. Six strikeouts to zero walks for him. I'll give you the matchups here as well. Ober is at the Reds this week. Ranger Suarez is home against the Mets. Jose Quintana is at the Phillies. And Gavin Williams is home against the Orioles. So let's let's rank this group first, Scott. And then if we would take Gibson Long over any of them. I'm going to say, gosh. So I know Suarez has two good matches. Not only does he face the Mets next week, but then he has a good matchup the following week as well. So he might he might be my first choice here, slightly over Gavin Williams and then Jose Quintana. And then Bailey Ober, who I'm not really ready to trust. He looked decent in his return, but he's well over his career high in innings and obviously just came back from... Um, you know, the Twins removed him from his rotation previously because he was showing signs of wearing down. So I, I, I think I'd be pretty scared to use Ober. Yeah, so Ranger Suarez, I mentioned he is home against the Mets this week and then home against the Pirates in the final week of the season. So two good matchups coming up there. Uh, the only thing with Bailey Ober, at the Reds this week, he's a fly ball pitcher. I don't know if I love that, but looks yep. like he lines up to face the Oakland A's at home the final week of the season. So that's pretty interesting for Bailey Ober. I mean, if he looks great against the Reds, then maybe we'll be talking about him as a sleeper for the final week. But um, yep. yeah, I, I, I'd rather have these other three over him. Would you take Gibson Long ahead of that entire group? That's a really tough question. Because it is just, you know, one start <laughs> from, yeah. a, from a pitcher who wasn't highly regarded coming up from the minors and had an ERA over four there. But the matchup is, you know, you can't ask for a better matchup than that. I think, I think I, I'd, I, I think I'd lean known. I, I think uh, I'd put Ranger Suarez and Gavin okay. Williams over him. All right, I was gonna say I think I would do it, but maybe I'm. I, I might just be getting a little bit too like antsy with him. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, part of it is, you know, how much do you 
how much do you lean matchups versus the pitcher himself? And um, I don't know. It's just I understand this time of year you you kind of throw the playbook out the window and just go with what you think is going to score you the most points this week, no matter what it costs you. And um, so I could see doing that. You know, he does. I don't know. It's a tough one, but I, I, I think I would, I think I would lean Ranger, Ranger Suarez and Gavin Williams over Sawyer Gibson long and, and, you know, cause you'll feel pretty dumb if uh, he goes and then implodes next time out. Right. And it's like, yeah, I put a lot of faith in this guy who, you know, hadn't done enough to earn it. Two other names here in, uh, I don't know, maybe deeper leagues. Probably not. They're probably in the same category. Nick Pavetta turned in his first quality start since July 31st. He was at the Blue Jays this weekend. Six and a third innings, two runs allowed, six strikeouts for him. And he's 57% rostered home against the White Sox this week, which is a great matchup as well. Uh, and then Brandon Fott had one of his better starts of the, since returning. Five and a third shutout innings, six strikeouts up against the Cubs. Uh, he is at the Yankees this weekend. It's probably a scary place for a fly ball uh, home run prone pitcher to be pitching, but any interest there, Scott? Nick Pavetta against the White Sox, Brendan Fott against the Yankees. No, I mean, I could understand if it's a I need to catch up in strikeouts situation. You're hoping to get a double digit outing from Nick Pavetta. He's probably more capable of that than most pitchers you'd find on the waiver wire, but you know, I'd prioritize him behind Sawyer Gibson Long if those are your terms. Uh, and then as far as Brandon Fott, I'm really, I really don't have enough reason to believe he's good at this point. I mean, he has had a handful of pretty good starts, but they're, they're, they're not like that's, they're not like that start Sawyer Gibson Long had, you know, they're not really, they don't really point to a ton of upside. And so I think he's, I'm, I'm just not won over by the, the good starts that Brandon Fott has had. Brendan fought in uh, 10 starts since returning to the Diamondbacks. 4.18 ERA and a 123 whip, 8.5K per nine, 2.4 walks per nine, 11 home runs allowed. That's 1.6 home runs per nine. That's, that's still pretty high. So uh, he's shown signs, showed signs of getting better, but I don't think we're going to trust Brandon fought over the final two weeks here. Player of the night, uh, player of the weekend for me is uh, let's just go all Tigers, baby. Tigers starting pitchers. Tarek Skubal now has seven plus strikeouts in six straight starts. Also had the uh, pleasure of facing the Angels lineup without Trout and Otani. Seven innings, one run allowed, nine strikeouts to zero walks, 18 swinging strikes on 91 pitches, 11 coming on that changeup, which has looked like I don't know, maybe one of the best pitches in baseball. It, it is a lights-out changeup here for Tarek Skubal. He's gone six-plus innings in five of his last six starts. He's down to a 325 ERA on the season, a .97 whip, 10.9K per nine, 1.7 walks per nine. He gets ground balls. He's limiting hard contact, getting swinging strikes. The guy just does everything. And I know we've talked a lot about him recently, Scott, but I'm starting to worry that the hype might get a little bit too out of control for next year. Because mm -hmm. someone this weekend on Twitter asked us if Tarek Skubal should be ranked as a top 24 starting pitcher next year. And I hope not because I kind of want to get him in the middle rounds. And I don't know, maybe your people will sleep on him a little bit. It, I doubt that will happen because there's a lot of very smart people out there. But uh, I don't know. Do you have like an early thought on, on where Tarek Skubal could wind up in the rankings? My early thought is yes. Yes. He's, he's so he's good. He's be in my top 24. I mean, he's... K per nine, 10.9, BB per nine, 1.7, home runs per nine, 0.5, and that's backed up by the high ground ball rate that you mentioned. His swinging strike rate is over 14%. He does everything right. His FIP, understandably, given that strikeout rate, walk rate, and home run rate, is 228. And, like, if, even if you – the one thing you might have been able to ding Tarek Skubal for was just, okay – is the workload going to be there? He's a young guy. He uh, missed, you know, the first half of this year with injury. Those carried over from the previous year, but that hasn't been an issue in recent starts for Tarek Skubal either. And I've already told you personally, I'm going to put less em less emphasis on that next year than I have in in recent years, and just really 
emphasize skills when I'm making out my pitching rankings. And so if, I, if I'm going to follow through with that, uh, <laughs> Tarek Skubal seems like exactly the guy who I need to be moving up my rankings. So I, I don't know for sure what everyone else is going to do, if he's going to be drafted among the top 24, but I will personally, I feel pretty confident saying I will personally have Tarek Skubal among my top 24. That changeup for Tarek Skubal, by the way, has a 186 batting average against and a 52% whiff rate this season. He gets whiffs on his fastball. He throws hard. He has breaking pitches that I think are adequate. I don't. Neither seems to be like amazing, but I, I don't know that they need to be uh, with with that fastball and changeup combination there for Tarek Skubal. Lots to like for next season. Uh, we've got some big news coming up. We'll take a break here. We'll talk about Otani. Ronald Acuna has missed two straight games with calf tightness. Uh, I want to give a shout out the teams that have already clinched the playoffs here. We know the Braves did it last week. The Dodgers clinched the NL West this weekend. The Orioles and Rays also clinched playoff berths. Nice to see the uh, Orioles here back in the playoffs after a little bit of a drought. You know, the kids are coming through. They're playing well. So it should be a fun, uh, very fun postseason here in Major League Baseball. Let's take our first break. When we return, we will talk about those injuries here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back in. And unfortunately, let's talk about some injuries. We already knew that Otani was dealing with that oblique. He had missed, what, 10 or 11 games straight uh, heading into the weekend. And no surprise, but he has been shut down for the remainder of the season. Placed on the IL with that oblique strain. He ends the season with a 304 batting average, 44 homers, 20 steals, and a career-best 1066 OPS. Otani as a pitcher. 314 ERA, 106 whip, 167 strikeouts, over 132 innings. Obviously, the guy's amazing. He will win the American League MVP. Um, my guess is we've probably seen the last of Otani in an Angels uniform, Scott. And speaking of the Angels, their GM, Perry Manassian, told reporters that Otani will have a procedure on that torn UCL in his right elbow soon. Though, they didn't mention exactly if it's going to be Tommy John or an internal brace. I think a brace is more for hitters. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe Rich Hill had that done. but I think so. Yeah, I think Hill had it done. Yeah, They, they haven't specified yet, but we know Otani's going to have some kind of surgery here. Uh, any, I guess, closing thoughts on his season? Do you, do you still think he gets this $500 million contract this offseason? Any early mm. thoughts for 2024? I think it's in doubt now because of the the question about his elbow and how it will impact his pitching future. It seemed likely before that because there really was no nobody to compare Otani to, so why wouldn't he get a contract that nobody could compete with? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we got to wait to see exactly what procedure it is. I'm presuming it's going to be Tommy John surgery, and if it is Tommy John surgery... I presume that'll keep Otani out as a hitter for the start of next season. Certainly, it'll keep him out as a pitcher for all of next season. So it's it's going to be a different player that we're drafting next year than the one we drafted this year. And you know, even if even if he has the Tommy John surgery and he comes back as quickly from it as Bryce Harper did, which was the quickest we've seen before, uh, he was he had it around Thanksgiving, was back in early May. So that's what six months, basically a little more than six months. So even if Otani races back for opening day, which would be about the same timetable as that, it took really till the second half of the season before Harper was hitting for the kind of power we're used to seeing him hit for. And so I don't, I don't know that that would necessarily be the greatest thing for Otani's fantasy value. If, if he did come back for opening day, I don't think he deserves to be drafted in the first round factoring all of that in. Uh, I know in the early mock drafts, the early mock draft results we've seen, he, he has gone there, but I do think that'll change over time. And if it doesn't, then I'm just not going to be in for it, and that's fine. I do think overall he's going to be a good hitter in fantasy next year for however much he's available. Presumably, 
you know, at least two thirds of the season. So he will need to be drafted in the early rounds, but first round seems high for me, given all the, the other factors there. Yeah. That mock draft we've referenced a few times, uh, 15 team five by five standard Roto. We did the first six rounds and we meaning me and 14 other tout wars participants and Shohei Otani went pick 14 in a 15 team league. So, you know, First round pick in that league, but I guess if you're in a 12-teamer, maybe he's like an early second. I think he's probably going to get pushed down, too. we got to wait to see like when he has surgery, what kind of surgery he has. But I, I do agree. I think he'll get uh, pushed down at least a little bit from, uh, from that early draft ranking. Other big news from the weekend, Ronald Acuna has missed two straight games with right calf tightness. And the latest here... Uh, I saw. I was trying to find some quotes. I couldn't find anything too concrete. Brian Snitker was asked if the team clinching will impact whether Acuna plays, I guess, through this injury. Uh, but he said, quote, probably not. Honestly, that's a touchy spot. If uh, it doesn't heal quick, so err on the side of caution, especially on this surface. So the Braves were playing in Marlins Park where they have turf. So I think they were just being really safe with Ronald Acuna. Scott, what, have you heard anything else? What's the latest? And uh, for people still playing, uh, do, you, do you keep Acuna in your lineups this week? I mean, the, the, the fact that the Braves have clinched is a complicating factor. They're still playing for the number one seed in the NL. And given that they were just swept and, I, and the Dodgers, uh, I think, swept their series, right? So that gap is closing between them and the Dodgers for the number one seed. So there is still something to play for. It's a buy either way, a first-round buy either way. So I don't know how much they're going to prioritize it. It might keep them out long. I mean, what what Snicker said about the calf being a tricky area, or however he put it. Yeah, I mean, if if that gets hurt, it's it's really difficult to rehabilitate, and it's probably it it could knock him out for all the playoffs. So I don't know that they want to rush him back for just to come. You know, just to secure number one seed over number two seed, which, by the way, they may do anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I know what ultimately you're you're asking whether you start him or not in fantasy. I lean yes. I think he'll play the majority of the week since they are saying it's not that serious, and since he did specify the playing surface in Miami. I think, given the upside from Acuna, half a week of production from him is going to be better than a full week production from any outfielder you pick up off the waiver wire but it is you know i i can't predict the future and he may end up sitting out the whole week that is a real possibility the braves play at 7 20 p.m eastern time here on monday so we should have an update a couple of hours a couple of hours before the game on whether or not acuna will be in there um, but even if he's not i think i'm with you i think i'd probably risk it just based on how ridiculous he's been uh, when he's been on the field this season. And just a reminder that there is an early game here on Monday as well, 2.10 p.m. Eastern time between uh, the Guardians and the Royals. So if you have any players on those teams, make sure to uh, set your lineups. Uh, Speaking of the Braves, by the way, Scott, shout out to Matt Olson, setting the team's single season home run record. Yeah, I was there for it. Nice, 52 home runs and counting. We'll see where that winds up. Yep. Good stuff. Good for him. Uh, all right, let's talk about a few waiver wire hitters here. And uh, two names up top here. I've got two outfielders. Uh, James Outman hit two home runs this weekend. He's having a strong second half. I feel like he's a name we haven't talked too much about. Batting 260 with 10 home runs, six steals, and an 861 OPS, 18% walk rate in the second half, 29% strikeout rate, uh, 73% rostered for Outman. He's got seven games this week, three lefties on the schedule, but Looks like he's been playing against both-handedness recently for the Dodgers. And uh, Mark Canna, he's a name I brought up last week. He's been playing really well. He had a big weekend, huge game on Saturday, 3-for-5 with his 11th home run, 5 RBI in that game. And then on Sunday, he went 2-for-4 with 2 steals, 39 games with the Brewers. Mark Canna is batting 319 with 5 homers, 26 RBI, and 3 steals. And I know the Brewers have the second-best hitter matchups this week, Scott, so... I don't know if we're just obviously yep. we got to go on a week by week basis at this point. James Outman, Mark Hanna, what do you think? Yeah, I love Canna for this week. I added him to the sleeper hitters at the time. I, I wanted to put him in originally, but he was dealing with a wrist issue, and I didn't know 
how that was going to play out. He returned this weekend, had two huge games back-to-back, continuing a very big September for Mark Canna. So I actually bumped his teammate, Sal Freelich, because if you remember Friday's show, I said Sal Freelich's been playing against both lefties and righties recently, so um doesn't matter that there's three on the schedule for the Brewers. Well, somebody on Twitter pointed out that was only true with Christian Yelich out. And uh, so Yelich returned over the weekend. He sat again Sunday, right? Yeah. So he's been in out of the lineup himself. But um, I noticed that uh, that's how Freelich did sit against the lefty the Brewers faced this weekend. Can has been playing every day, and I think he's better suited to take advantage of those favorable matchups. So I think he's a good play this week. All right, two first basemen slash corner infielders. Uh, Jake Berger had a huge weekend as well. Seven hits, two homers, five runs, six RBI in 42 games with the Marlins. He is batting 306 with eight home runs, 24 runs, 23 RBI, and just a 22% strikeout rate. So looks like a conscious effort there from Jake Berger to make more contact here. He's played well with the Marlins. And Carlos Santana, who went two for three with a double dong on Friday night. And as I just mentioned, the Brewers have great hitter matchups this week. Um, Santana hasn't been great with the Brewers. He's batting 236. He's got nine home runs in the 41 games with the team. But uh, if you're debating between these two, Scott, Jake Berger or Carlos Santana, which way would you go? I think it's a little tough because the Brewers have the better matchups, but I think Berger is the better player. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Berger is the better player. I mean, it might be a points league versus roto league thing because... Points League's always been Carlos Santana's better format. That remains true now. Berger strikes. Well, you mentioned he's striking out less, but uh, he's not a good plate discipline guy the way Carlos Santana is. Um, they obviously play different positions too. Berger, you could slot at second, third base. So that might factor into your decision-making as well. I believe the Marlins have great matchups for the final week of the season, if I'm remembering correctly. So, uh, so that... You know, if you're if you're thinking more than just this week, that might tip the scales in Burger's favor. Mets Pirates are who the Marlins are facing. Final week of the season, that's pretty good. Uh, that home run he hit on Saturday was it was like a low line drive. It ended up being the game winning home run. It was like a low line drive to straightaway center, and it's like off the bat. That's not going to leave. And it did. It got over the fence. It was at 113 miles per hour. Ooh. It was like, that's so burger. It, it, like, <laughs> that trajectory to straightaway center should not result in a home run unless you hit at 113 miles per hour. So uh, striking out less has not compromised his power, let's just say. I love that. We should make that a new phrase here. Kind of like, like, that's so Raven, the Disney Channel back in the day. That's so burger. That's so my kids loved his name. <laughs> by the way, I, he may have been, he may they may have left with Jake Berger as their favorite player. Nice as they should. I mean, he's no. I mean, it's it's traitorous. I don't know that they should. <laughs> what if your kids wanted to be Marlins fans, Scott? Would you allow them to be? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I as much as like I um like trying to push the baseball on them as opposed to it coming to them naturally. I mean, I think they tell you their favorite sport is baseball, but you know, I like, you know, I'm, I'm through my own propaganda making that happen. So it would just, it would be weird if they ended up choosing a different team than, uh, than their dads, but no, I wouldn't disown them if that happened. <laughs> no, I know you wouldn't disown them, but uh, it's just, it's funny. Uh, yeah. It's, I don't, I don't have that problem yet. But the the biggest thing I have is a I have a cat, so I don't, I don't think she really cares mm. too much about uh, about baseball. Not yet, at least. Two potential middle infielders here. DJ LeMahieu has been hitting well for the Yankees. Last twenty three games for him, he's batting two sixty four with seven homers, fourteen runs, fourteen RBI. Uh, he's forty nine percent rostered. He has that triple eligibility: first, second, third. Six games this upcoming week. And Edward Julian. He's powering back up one for four with his 14th home run. He's got three homers over his last six games, and uh, he is 40% rostered six games this week as well. The problem, three lefties on the schedule, Scott. So I'm kind of scared off Edouard Julian. Yeah, no. I mean, he was a great start this week. It worked out. 
because there were no lefties on the schedule for the Twins, but with a bunch of lefties on really the next two weeks. The Twins might have the best hitter matchups of any team um, if we're if we're com- you know if we're combining the two weeks together. Who has the best matchups is probably the Twins, but there's a bunch of lefties, so I'm not really sure you're going to get much use out of Edward Julian the rest of the way. Now, if Jorge Polanco's out there, you might want to make a play for him. Do you but have any? Any enthusiasm? Like 73% roster. Any enthusiasm for DJ LeMahieu? No. Okay. Last name on the list here, Luis Campusano. Just wanted to mention as a a sneaky ad in two catcher leagues. Uh, he's been playing a lot more since Gary Sanchez suffered, I think, a fractured wrist, so he's out for the year. But Campusano has played well. 44 games this season, 297 batting average, six homers, 797 OPS. The Padres have the second best hitter matchups this week. He's 12% rostered. So if you play in a two-catcher league, I think Luis Campusano makes for a sneaky pickup this week. You know, Henry Davis was activated this weekend in a league where I added Campusano as my second catcher. I think I'm just going to stick with Campusano, though. (laughs) Davis looked great on his rehab assignment, but he struck out three times each game he played over the weekend. So I don't know. Still still, uh, trying to figure out how to hit in the majors, it seems like. Yep. All right, let's uh, get into some other news and notes from the weekend. So you're saying there's a chance. Felix Bautista threw a bullpen Sunday in Baltimore, his first mound work since he was diagnosed with a partial tear of the UCL. And I think as long as he keeps throwing these bullpens and, you know, we'll find out more tomorrow, how his body responds, how his arm responds. But there might be a chance, Scott, that Felix Bautista actually returns for a postseason run here. Yeah, it's starting to feel like a pretty good chance given how far along he's, the fact he's throwing, the fact they haven't ruled it out, obviously. And I'd be a little nervous about starting Yanir Cano in fantasy given given that uh, Felix Bautista's lurking out there. A little nervous. Obviously, in some leagues, he's going to be your best choice. But if, if you're in a league where like Tanner Scott is still out there, and that's true in all, almost half of CBS leagues, then I think I'd opt for him over Cano. I mean, Cano hasn't done that much in the role anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, Mike Trout has been holding a bat and taking dry swings without much soreness for about a week. He went back on the IL August 22nd with soreness in his left hand slash wrist. And if you remember earlier this season, Trout suffered a hamate bone fracture. So he's currently trying to rehab and, and get back this season. I, I don't know that it makes sense. Maybe he just wants to play a couple of games to finish out the year because all these kind of trade rumors are swirling now, Scott, that the Angels might just blow this thing up. If Otani leaves, now they're talking about potentially shipping out Mike Trout. I don't know. I hadn't heard about that, but it would make sense. I mean, they don't have enough to go with him, and I know it's popular in... Baseball uh, analytical circles to just, I don't know, it's its weird. Like 10 years ago, it was like, you never buy a championship. And now it's like, you should just buy a championship. But I, I don't i don't think it's really that easy. Um, and I, I think so the Padres I, I think, showed us that this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm still more in the former camp. I guess I came up in the Moneyball era and just kind of, like the idea of efficiency. Um, but, you know, they don't have enough to go with Trout is the bottom line. So I, if I were running the Angels and, you know, didn't have to listen to whatever the owner wanted, maybe this is what the owner wants, who knows, then, yeah, I would probably sh- be shopping Mike Trout. I don't even know what the return would look like either because Trout signed it's probably a- It's probably too late. That's, yeah. I mean, I kind of felt that way before they locked him into that deal. And it was an unpopular thing to say out loud. And of course, the Red Sox didn't get enough for Mookie Betts. And if that's all their return was for Trout, okay, maybe you don't trade him. But um, but yeah, now he's kind of become an injury risk and he has that huge contract attached to him. So it, it may not even, they may not even get enough of a return to make it viable. Yeah. But uh, I, I can understand the sentiment, I guess, is all I'm saying. Trout is signed through 2030, which will be his age 38 season. And he makes $35 million every year from now through 2030. So, I mean, it's a tradable contract. I just don't know how much 
the Angels would get in return. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Joe Musgrove will officially not pitch again this season for the Padres. He was placed in the IL with inflammation in his right shoulder capsule on August 4th. Christian Yelich, as we mentioned earlier, returned to the Brewers lineup on Friday, and then he was out again Saturday and Sunday as he deals with back stiffness. What do we do with Yelich, Scott? Uh, I don't know. It feels like this is going to continue to linger. Maybe we'll find out Monday if he's in the lineup, but let's say he's out of the lineup Monday. What would you do with Yelich? Uh, probably sit him. Okay. They have a game I mean, at... Uh, if, if his back's giving him trouble, how, how productive is he going to be anyway? Right. And he's kind of slowed down over the past month or so, too, so... Uh, the Brewers play at 7.45 p.m. Eastern time, so again, should know a little bit before that. Josh Young will rejoin the Rangers on Monday after an encouraging weekend of rehab. He had surgery on August 9th to repair a fracture in his left thumb. Uh, they said that he's going to rejoin the team. They didn't say they're going to activate him just yet, but let's say Josh Young is activated. Scott, are you throwing him right back into your lineups coming off this thumb fracture? Uh, probably not. Now it depends how deep your league is, who you've had to, uh, who you've had to uh, suffer through at third base at present, but probably not. He didn't have a true minor league rehab assignment, Josh Young, and um, you know I, I think it's a, I think it's putting too much on him to get him active right away in most fantasy leagues. Can we talk about Ryan Pepio for a second? Because that seems like. Sure. The, all the commenters want to hear about, and obviously he didn't pitch over the weekend. Um, so he's scheduled to go Tuesday. I think he's going to be a two-star pitcher this week, but of course that's always, you know, it's it's we don't know till it happens, especially this time of year, especially on a Dodgers team that's now clinched its division title. The, if if you you know if you look at some of the probable pitcher sites. They don't have. They don't show Pepio going twice this week. Maybe they'll be right, but I noticed they do have like both Emmett Sheehan and Gavin Stone taking a turn. Well, Gavin Stone just had a three and a third relief, a three and a third inning relief appearance on Sunday. Emmett Sheehan uh, piggybacked with Clayton Kershaw, I believe, on Saturday. So neither of them made a start this week. I don't know why we're projecting them both to make starts next week. I think it's just a five-man rotation. I think. They could, it could change any day. But my presumption is still that Pepe is going to start twice this week. And even if he only goes once, it'll be against the Tigers. Yeah, so, that's exactly what good. I was going to say. Still a good so, play. Yeah, I think you should feel comfortable getting Ryan Pepio in your lineups. Hassan Kim was scratched Sunday due to abdominal discomfort. He'll undergo tests to determine whether it's internal or muscular. Edward Cabrera is expected to start Monday after serving as a bulk reliever in his previous two outings. I assume you still like Edward Cabrera, Scott? I do. I mean, within reason. I, I wouldn't say I'd start him in all contexts. If you're mostly looking to preserve ERA and whip in a Roto League, maybe not. If you're looking to make up ground in strikeouts, absolutely. In a points league, probably yes, because you can... You know, points league scoring serves to mitigate the damage of a of a bad stat line better than Roto does. Would you go with Ryan Pepio or Edward Cabrera? Well, they're my numbers numbers one and two sleeper pitchers for this week. Pepio's one, Cabrera two. There you go. Brian De La Cruz has missed two straight with an ankle injury. Jorge Soler was reinstated and in the Marlins lineup on Sunday. His first game back two for three with his 36th home run of the year. Kenley Jansen is expected to be activated from the COVID IL on Wednesday. John Schreiber came in for a one-run save on Saturday for the Red Sox, and uh, he blew it. So get back soon, Kenley Jansen. Salvador Perez was out of the lineup Sunday with a head injury. He's been cleared of a concussion but remains day-to-day. -day. Ryan Mountcastle has missed four straight with a left shoulder injury. Heston Kierstad has only started one game, like we suspected might be the case. Uh, he did hit a home run in that one start against Zach Eflin, so that was pretty cool. Adbert Alzali played catch on Saturday. He went on the IL last Monday with a right forearm strain. Michael Lorenzen and Christopher Sanchez will indeed be used in a piggyback role Tuesday against the Braves. Now, hearing that for certain, Scott, are you still okay using Christopher Sanchez, or have you taken him out of your sleeper pitchers for this week? No, I've, I've kept him in. We don't know exactly who's going to get what share of that start. You want Sanchez to go the minimum five for a win, obviously. Braves 
makes it tricky. But then his second start would be against the uh, Mets. Uh, so, you know, I think specifically in a points league, I'd still lean toward it, especially if you can put him in that RP spot. It's better than a borderline closer, I would say. But uh, that's why he's not higher on the sleeper pitcher list. Fair enough. Kyle Harrison was sent back to AAA. Ross Tripling was reinstated from the IL. Harrison could be dropped in all redraft leagues. Marcus Stroman was activated Friday and then pitched in relief both Friday and uh, Saturday. It appears that he'll remain in the bullpen until he gets uh, built back up, if that could even happen, by... Hopefully the time they get to the postseason. Reed Detmers was scratched Sunday with an illness. Hope you uh, were not planning on streaming him. I feel like maybe we kind of spoke this into existence, Scott, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I, we were debating between Griffin Canning, Reed Detmers, who was the better stream. And I think we liked Detmers more just on ability. But then, uh, you know, he's going Sunday, so there's a chance he could get bumped. And he got bumped. So hopefully he went with Canning instead. Brett Beatty has missed three straight with a mild groin injury. Joey Weimer was optioned to AAA on Sunday. Graham Ashcraft will undergo undergo season-ending surgery on his right big toe this Tuesday. D-backs pitcher Dre Jameson needs Tommy John surgery, which means he'll miss all of next season as well. And all of these players went on the IL this weekend. Tristan Casas with right shoulder inflammation. Tyler O'Neill with a sprained right foot. Juan Yepes was recalled. Kyle Freeland with an oblique strain. Mickey Moniak with left back tightness. Mike Moussakis with a left forearm strain. And Matt Carpenter with right elbow inflammation. Let's take our final break. When we return, the leftovers from the weekend starter sit questions. We'll do that right after this. Welcome back in. Let's go rapid fire. I've got some pitching leftovers here. Should we start or sit these Fringe starting pitchers this week. Brian Bayo set a new career high with 10 strikeouts at the Blue Jays this weekend. Six innings, three runs, 10 strikeouts with 16 swinging strikes. The problem, he's at the Texas Rangers this week. Scott, what do you think about Brian Bayo? It's not an absolute sit, but I lean sit. And I'll probably phrase most of these responses similarly. Yeah, and as always, we're framing this for 12-team leagues, it's kind of hard just to put a blanket starter sit on it, but basically we're going to let you know how we're feeling about these pitchers and, and uh, their matchups this week. Lucas Giolito had his first scoreless start in nearly two months. He was up against the Rangers, seven shutout innings, 12 strikeouts, 16 swinging strikes. Uh, normally I would say there's no way. He's at the Royals this week. Scott, Lucas Why Giolito? Why would you say there's no way? He just had a 12-strikeout game, and his start before then was good, too. And you know what those starts had in common? He threw his changeup about 50% of the time, his best pitch. Uh, I think that's close to twice as often as what of his usage before, twice as much usage on that changeup. So he's made an adjustment here, has Lucas Giolito, that has led to some pretty good results. The matchup's incredible. I like it. I think, he's, I think Giolito's a start. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a good note on the changeup usage, but um, his previous 10 starts before this one, Scott, an 806 ERA and a 160 whip. Well, but yes, but that was before the, if, if you just look at the two where the changeup usage was up, so he had the 10, the 12 strikeout effort to Giolito, and then prior to that, he had nine strikeouts in seven innings. Did allow four runs, but those were, he allowed four base runners too. You know, I, I I call that a good start. So I think it was two good starts with that changeup usage. All right. Another clunker from Aaron Nola at the Cardinals. Four and two-thirds innings, seven hits, three runs allowed, one walk, one strikeout, 10 hard hits in this game. Now in the second half, Nola has a 5.08 ERA and a 131 whip. There's, uh, look, maybe he goes out and has a classic Aaron Nola start. I cannot start him at the Atlanta Braves this week. Neither can I. All the right. prophecy is being fulfilled, I will point out. He's going to be drafted after uh, Tarek Skubal next year. That might be Isn't true. It? And yeah. it might be warranted <laughs> based on yeah, that. I mean, yeah. And that's what I was hoping for. Right. Because uh, I hope to draft him for cheap. All right. Chris Bassett had a great start up against the Red Sox. Seven innings, two runs, five strikeouts there. And he's gone seven plus innings in three of his last four starts. He is at Tampa Bay this week. They are fourth in Woba against right-handed pitching. 
you know, in an, in an ideal world, you'll have somebody better. But if you don't, it's okay to start him. Okay. What about Chris Sale, who had his best start since returning from the IL? He was at the Blue Jays, six innings, one run, 10 strikeouts with 14 swinging strikes. Velocity was way down once again. His fastball was down 2.6 miles per hour in this start. And uh, he is at home against the White Sox. So it's a pretty good matchup. It is a good matchup. He's, he's had no trouble getting strikeouts despite the velocity being down. And obviously this 10 strikeout effort backs that up. But otherwise the results have been iffy. I lean yes. I lean yes on sale. I'd rather start sale against the White Sox than... Um, Sawyer, Gibson, what's his third name? Long. Yeah, Sawyer Gibson Long against <laughs> the uh, whoever he's facing. The good, the good matchup he had. Yeah, I think it's at the Oakland A's Oakland, this week. Oakland, yeah. yeah. What a great name too, by the way, Sawyer Gibson Long. It's a. It's, it's just. A I'll remember that third name is Long because the entire name is Long. <laughs> there you go, Andrew Abbott. Another rough outing at the Mets this weekend. Three and two thirds innings, two runs allowed, five strikeouts. His last nine starts now, he has a 6.37 ERA and a 173 WHIP. This is another one where I, I think I would just say, okay, this is an easy bench. He's at home against the Pirates this week. What do you think about Andrew Abbott? Hmm. I'd rather not. Like, if it's a daily league, particularly if it's a daily points league, then I'm not going to say don't start him when his turn comes up. But if you're setting a lineup for the week, no. He's, he's just been too unreliable, has Andrew Abbott. All right, Clayton Kershaw, he continues to be limited this time. He was at the Mariners, four shutout innings, four strikeouts, only threw 56 pitches in this. His velocity remains way down. His fastball was down over two miles per hour. The slider was down over three miles per hour in this start. Clayton Kershaw, uh, who could be limited once again, is home against the Giants this week. Nope. Don't trust him to go even five innings. Okay. Carlos Rodon struck out a season-high 10 at the Pirates on Sunday, yet he still has a 590 ERA and a 136 whip. He is at home against the D-backs this week. 21st in Woba against lefties, so it's a pretty solid matchup. I could go either way with that, yeah. I don't I don't mind it. Rodon has looked better his last two starts. The strikeout, the strikeouts are coming back, and it's a pretty good matchup. I lean yes, but a lower priority than sale, I would say. Okay. Charlie Morton's control is wavering once again. He has four plus walks in back to back starts. He was at the Marlins this weekend, four and two thirds innings, six. Runs allowed, five walks in this outing. Lots of hard contact as well. It's a good matchup, though, at the Nationals this week. What do you think about Charlie Morton? I think I'll pass in most cases. Okay. Jesus Lazardo, who has kind of he's encompassed this season pitching in a nutshell. He's had some blow-up starts. Mm. He's had some amazing starts. And then what do you do on Sunday? Another amazing start up against the Braves. Obviously, no Acuna in the lineup, but six shutout innings with eight strikeouts and 17 swinging strikes for Jesus Lazardo. He is home against the Brewers this week. He just faced them last week, and he gave up six earned runs against them. So He'll get him this time as a start. All right. Scott is in on Lazardo against the Brewers this week. Two pitchers who are human after all, Scott. Tyler Glass now has struggled in his last two starts. This one, he was at the Orioles, six runs allowed over four innings. He has now allowed 10 runs total over his last two starts. And your boy, I can't claim him. This is your guy. Cole Reagans. he is human. Against the Astros, they are great against lefties. We know that. Six innings, five runs allowed, still had seven strikeouts, still had 18 swinging strikes. Uh, mm -hmm. The problem, he's at the Astros again this week, so it's pretty scary. He'll get him this time. No, I mean, I... Uh, from a run scored perspective, this was his worst start, right? Five, which, you know, if... Sounds, <laughs> sounds right. In, in this pitching environment, it's hard to, to knock anybody for a five-run start every once in a while. I was relieved, frankly, because remember his previous start, he had the... He had that uh, that the last batter he faced, he fell down on the mound twice, threw three straight pitches to the backstop. What is going on? Mm-hmm. Clearly, he's okay. He's okay. Yeah. He had, for the most part, a typical Reagan's uh, performance. Um, I know they left him in for this. They let him come out for the seventh, 
and he put two runners on, and so they removed him. So two, two of the five runs he gave up were inherited, where the reliever let the inherited runner score. Um, so that puts it, you know, paints it in a slightly different light. But um, yeah, I mean, he was missing lots of bats. His stuff is amazing. I'd start him against the Astros. Second straight turn. Alrighty. Other pitching standouts from the weekend. Part one, Zach Eflin had a great start at the Orioles. Seven innings, one hit, one run, eight strikeouts to zero walks. Jose Barrios had one of his best starts of the season against the Red Sox. Seven shutout innings, five hits, zero walks, eight strikeouts for him. Logan Webb, a great start in Coors Field. Eight innings, one run allowed, six strikeouts with 18 swinging strikes. And uh, Tarek Skubal, who we mentioned earlier, so we're not going to talk about him again. Anything to add on Webb, Barrios, and Zach Eflin? Uh, nah, let's keep going. Okay. Pitching standouts part two. Grayson Rodriguez set a new career high with eight innings up against the Tampa Bay Rays. He only allowed five hits, zero walks, seven strikeouts, with 11 swinging strikes in that one. Framber Valdez had a great start at the Royals. Seven innings pitched, one unearned run, five strikeouts there. Sonny Gray continues his great second half. He's gone seven innings in three of his last five starts. The ERA is down to 284. He's got a 117 whip, seven shutout innings with six strikeouts at the White Sox. And uh, Brandon Woodruff continues to get it done since returning from the IL. He faced the Nationals, six innings, one run, six strikeouts for him. Uh, He has allowed a total of five earned runs over his last five starts. That is spanning 34 innings. For Brandon Woodruff, anything to add on him, Sonny Gray, Framber Valdez, and Grayson Rodriguez? So for Framber Valdez, it appears the cutter's back. Remember during that rough patch, it it kind of went missing for him. He was throwing it like 5% of the time. So it's been, the usage has been creeping up in recent starts as his performance has improved. And in this start, he threw it 25% of the time. He hadn't thrown his cutter that much since June, I think. It was up a few miles per hour too, so... Uh, I think Framber Valdez is back on track, and thankfully, it's a good time for him to be back on track. Grayson Rodriguez, you know, I, I kept saying, I, I've kept saying, while the cumulative numbers since returning from the minors have been good, I've been waiting for that breakthrough start. You could call this a, a breakthrough start. Eight shutout innings against a good offense, good Rays offense. It's still weird to me, given how good his stuff is, given given, given how um, enormous his his prospect profile is, that the strikeouts, like he, he, in each individual start, he doesn't even get a strikeout per inning. Like where are all the strikeouts for this guy? And, and this one, he had only had 11 swinging strikes in addition to seven strikeouts in eight innings. Um, he threw his fastball 69% of the time, which was weird. He really leaned on that. I guess it was working for him, so why change it? I just wonder. I, I think it's more a question of when than if we start to see the strikeouts for Grayson Rodriguez because like the stuff is too good for him not to be a big bat misser. But um, I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't shown up yet. Grayson Rodriguez, by the way, in 11 starts since returning from the minors, 259 ERA and a 106 whip. Only 8.3K per nine, and that's what we're talking about. We need more strikeouts, but also we're just kind of being greedy with uh, Grayson. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Cleveland next week, you're going to start him. Yeah, 100%. Some hitting leftovers here. Another big weekend for Michael Harris. He had six hits, two homers, three runs, and three RBI. I'm not sure if he'll hit two homers in two weeks. He might, Uh, but if he does that, then he'll wind up with a 2020 season. So let's go, Michael Harris. A uh, huge weekend for Luis Arise. He went two for five with a double dong on Friday, then three for five with a sock and a shoe on Saturday, and then three more hits on Sunday. Still batting 353 with an 864 OPS on the year. Vlad Jr. has homered in three of his last four games. He's up to 24 homers, 90 RBI, 787 OPS. He will be a fun one to uh, dissect this offseason. Royce Lewis. Uh, went one for two with three walks and another Grand Slam. I think that either happened on Friday or Saturday. He now has five Grand Slams in his first 16 career home runs. The first player to do that in MLB history. He also has four Grand Slams in an 18-game span this season. That is the shortest span 
in MLB history. He's pretty awesome and pretty clutch. It would seem that way. Yeah. Royce Lewis. Uh, he, he went kind of early in that mock draft. I, I want to see if that's going to remain as the uh, offseason goes on here. Bobby Witt Jr. keeps running wild. He had three more steals this weekend. Also had four hits and a home run. He's up to 29 homers and 47 steals on the year. Fernando, he's going he's, he's to end up joining the 30-50 club too. Yeah. Seems like. And that'll make him the fourth player to do so? I think he is a top five pick next year, Scott. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, Fernando Tatis had a strong week. His last six games, he has nine hits, two homers, six runs, six RBI, and a steal. Now up to 25 homers and 26 steals in 129 games. Rafael Devers hitting for power as of late. He has four homers in his last seven games. Uh, just having a pretty big second half as well. I feel like we haven't talked about Devers enough, but he's batting 313 with 13 homers and a 969 OPS here in the second half. Jazz Chisholm, as you mentioned earlier, he had two huge games uh, in a row, two for three with a sock and three shoes. That's right. A homer and three steals, a grand slam, a grand Mm -hmm. sock and three shoes, a a stocking, as we said said on Friday's podcast. Um, He did that on Saturday and then hit his 18th home run of the year on Sunday. Jordan Walker has turned it up in September as well. He's betting 302 with four homers and a 922 OPS. Juan Soto, huge game on Sunday. He went three for five with a double dong, six RBI, also having a big final month, 304 batting average, seven homers, four steals, and an 1108 OPS. Let's wrap up with some bullpen updates here. For the Marlins, uh, Tanner Scott struck out one for his ninth save on Friday, remains just 57% rostered if you're looking for a closer. For the Royals, uh, I guess very deep league play here, AL only, 15-team leagues. Uh, Taylor Clark picked up two saves this weekend for Kansas City. He is 0% rostered, so (laughs) literally out there in every league. For the (laughs) Phillies on Friday, Jose Alvarado picked up his eighth save, and he now has two of the last three saves for the Phillies. Um, I don't think Alvarado's actually the guy, Scott. It just feels like the the Phillies play matchups a good amount. Yeah, well, I know for at least one of those saves... Over the weekend, Kimbrell worked the eighth, setting up Alvarado for the ninth. And I think Alvarado allowed a run in the ninth. So it didn't go smoothly. But yeah, I mean, I'll be a little, a little iffy on Kimbrell here, particularly if somebody like Tanner Scott's available. Mm-hmm. For the Rockies on Saturday, Tyler Kinley allowed two hits and a walk, but picked up his fourth save. He now has three of the last five saves for the Rockies. He's 3% rostered. For the Rangers on Saturday, Will Smith was in for the eighth inning, uh, had a one-run lead. He gave up a double and a walk. He was later replaced by Jose LeClerc, who allowed both runs to score. Uh, The team passed on using Aroldis Chapman, who hasn't pitched since last Tuesday, I think September 12th. So I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Maybe they were just saving him for the ninth. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. He's, he's been kind of bumpy. It's been a bumpy ride since they moved him into the closer role after he was just dominating before that. Yep, sure has. For the Tigers on Saturday, Alex Lang got the ninth inning with a three-run lead. He gave up three runs on two homers. He took his fifth blown save. Will Vest would eventually get the save in extra innings. And then on Sunday, right back to Alex Lang, pitched a clean ninth inning for his 24th save of the year. For the Cardinals on Sunday, Ryan Helsley gave up a hit and a walk, but picked up his 11th save. He's 61% rostered. Scott, who would you rather have, Helsley or Tanner Scott? Scott. But, you know, for all those instances, I said, well, I would, you know, I I don't know that I'd stick with him if Tanner Scott was out there, but the same probably goes for Helsley. His last four appearances have resulted in a save. I'd prefer him to Kimbrell at this point. And probably take both of those guys over Chapman too, right? That's probably easy. Yeah, I think so. You know, if it was June and we were saying rest of season, I, I think I'd go Chapman, but you just you have to take it a week at a time right now, and it's hard to have much faith in Chapman at the moment. All right. And then for the Giants on Sunday, Camilo Doval started the ninth inning with a five-run lead. The game was in Coors Field. Uh, had some bad defense behind him too, but he gave up four runs. He was relieved by Taylor Rogers, who got the final out for his second save of the year. 
to stream or not to stream, let's start with Monday. And we have Edward Cabrera against the Mets. Mike Clevenger at the Nationals. Brian Wu at the Oakland A's. Mm-hmm. Cal Quantrill at the Royals. I, I think all four of those are pretty good. Yeah, if I'm ranking them, and again, this is just for daily lineups, not weekly lineups. I go Wu at Oakland first, and then I go Edward Cabrera against the Mets. Then I go Mike Clevenger at Washington, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, J.P. Sears against the Mariners would be fourth. Okay. Who, who, who else did you mention there? Cal Quantrill at the Royals. Nah. nah. Okay. On Tuesday, we have a uh, bulk reliever, Christopher Sanchez at the Braves. Logan T. Allen at the Royals. We have Javier Assad against the Pirates. Uh, we've got Paul Blackburn against the Mariners. Yeah, so I'll go Allen at the Royals, followed by Assad against the Pirates, followed by Blackburn against the Mariners. Uh, I did lay out a context for starting Sanchez in a points league, despite his next turn being at Atlanta, but that's that's more in a weekly scenario where you know you get the prospect of a second outing. If it's just this outing at Atlanta on its own, rather not. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.